Hello, and welcome to our COVID Minutes podcast. Today, we are talking about long COVID, and our guest is Dr. Monica Verdusco Gutierrez, who's professor and chair of the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine here at the Joe and Teresa Lozano Long School of Medicine at UT Health San Antonio. And I'm Dr. Jan Patterson, professor of medicine, infectious diseases, and associate dean for quality and lifelong learning here at UT Health San Antonio. Since our last podcast, thanks to vaccine and continued precautions, we're seeing much less COVID now, but patients are still suffering from long COVID syndrome. And that is also being called post-acute sequelae of COVID or PASC. I have to say, I much prefer the long COVID. That's a lot easier to say. And and, uh, Dr. Gutierrez has a clinic specializing in this. And so uh, she's going to talk to us today about long COVID. So Dr. Gutierrez, tell us just what is long COVID? So long COVID is going to be when someone after they've had COVID-19 then has ongoing symptoms. So you expect, you know, your test might be positive or you're only infectious for the 10 days, but really when patients continue to have symptoms for three weeks, then we will consider it long COVID. But some of these patients are having symptoms for three months, six months, now a year plus at this point. Okay. Well, tell us about your long COVID clinic. How long has it been been going on? And how many patients are you seeing? We've had the clinic open for nine months now. And so this is a clinic where we had started to see a need early on. And some of it was, you know, what was coming out of Europe and what was coming out of New York because they had a lot of the surges much earlier than we did here and saw that there was a need, that there was patients who weren't getting better right away. We were suffering kind of longer term symptoms and said, okay, there's going to be a need here as we have a population that might be at risk, especially we have a, you know, high minority population here in San Antonio. We know that minority populations are affected more by COVID-19. So we need to develop this clinic to help mitigate long-term effects and help rehabilitate patients that need rehabilitation after covid so since that time, we have two clinics, one through you know, our UT practice. We have a clinic at the University Health as well, just to make sure we're serving all patients that need to be served and um, have probably seen over 300 patients at this point. Wow. Okay. Well, I know in infectious diseases, we've gotten a lot of uh, questions about getting referred to your clinic. So I know it's been popular. Um, what are the most common problems that you see? The probably the number one thing that I see and that's also been published uh, is that fatigue. So ongoing fatigue, along with fatigue, there's something specific that is called post-exertional malaise. So that is the very you know fancy way of saying that a patient will exert themselves and then they pay for it because they're very very fatigued afterwards. You know they think they can go back and do, uh, you know the same exercise program they did before. They think they can clean their whole house because, oh, it's dirty and that they can, you know, do a full, you know, 20 hour shift at work or whatever it might, that they might be, but then they are so fatigued, they're almost bedridden the next day. So that's something that we see. We see patients with complaints of 
brain fog. We see patients with um, symptoms of erratic heart rate. You know, it may go up, their blood pressure may go down. There's some changes in their heart rate. We have patients who might have increased pains or have pains or tingling or numbness, dizziness, um, just all across the board. I like to say no patient is the same. Everyone, you know, had a different story and has a little bit different presentation. Now, is this similar to uh, chronic fatigue syndrome that we've seen in the past? So there are some overlap with some of the symptoms and it's pretty interesting because some of the patients we, I will see, there's a percent of the patients that will get better within a few months. They just kind of, they can tolerate exercise and we give them rehab and they respond really well and they get better quickly. And then there's some who do present more like a chronic fatigue type patient, which unfortunately we don't have a lot of tons of research in that area either to say, oh, these are the best ways, you know, to treat those patient populations. But I think it's a, a good way to give attention to that disease process as well and to see how they can be similar and what can we do to help both the patient populations. So what are you doing for these, these uh, problems? Like for instance, what do you do for the people that are having fatigue? So some of it is education. A lot of it is education on this is what's happening to your body. This is what happened to your system. And we're still, of course, learning about it as well. And then some of the techniques are energy conservation, fatigue mitigation strategies, and something that we call pacing. So if a patient really has to realize, you know, do they have a window of energy where they can do something during the day that they try to get the tasks that they need to get done at for that day, the most important thing during that time and not to overdo it the other time or push themselves past to what they're used to doing because then their body may feel it. And that's one thing that, you know, you, we can try medications, we can try, you know, we don't even have that many great things to try, but a lot of it is education, pacing, trying an individualized rehabilitation program that just kind of centers on what the patient needs. Sometimes it even starts with breathing. Are they, you know, are they breathing correctly? Are they breathing deeply? Are they hyperventilating? Is their diaphragm weak? Because we've seen that as well. And are they, um, you know, having effects from some have to start with breathing exercises yeah. as part of their individualized therapy. Yes. The breath is so important and we're learning that that can uh, help so much both uh, with fatigue and with anxiety. Um, what about brain fog? What do you do with brain fog? Mm -hmm. How do you so, address that? I know brain fog is another thing. So I feel like for brain fog, there is both compensation strategies. So, you know, how can we compensate for some of these things related to brain fog that, you know, every, again, everyone's symptoms are different. So is it that you're forgetting a couple things here and there? Do you have to write yourself a little bit, a few more notes? Do you have to put some alarms on your phone? Do you have to have someone remind you of things a little bit more? And then we have what are rehabilitative strategies. Um, and so that is maybe going through a neuropsychologist or going through um, formal speech therapy where they can also work on techniques to help, you know, with return of 
memory or processing skills or whatever deficits that someone may formerly um, have been found to have after COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, again, we talk a lot about inflammation and just kind of whole body wellness and decreasing inflammation in the body through, again, starting with breathing, starting with the right kind of diet and then individualized exercise, which is good for our brain. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, and then what about, um, you know, we, an infectious disease, we've seen a lot of people in follow-up from the research studies that have persistent shortness of breath or cough. Are there any, uh, rehab medicine things in particular that you do for them other than the breathing? Is there anything in particular you recommend? So there are formalized pulmonary rehabilitation programs. And so some patients will need those formalized pulmonary rehab programs where, you know, it's usually multidisciplinary. And again, it's good to know beforehand, you know, have they had spirometry? Have they had pulmonary function tests? Have they had a CT? What kind of, where are we starting? So we know where to, how to improve their cardiopulmonary function. And that's the goal of the therapy program. Okay. Um, and then of course, there's a lot of people that have had COVID that have anosmia. They've lost their smell and uh, often their taste. Is there anything that they can do? Is there anything you recommend to them? So some of the, you know, tips and tricks we have for anosmia, you know, nasal steroids, that's one thing that can be done. The other thing is there is something called smell training. And this is, um, Anosmia is, a, it happens to be something that some of the traumatic brain injury patients have as well. So we have some experience um, with that population beforehand, but now of course, a lot of post COVID patients have it. And so it is about retraining your brain and making those connections again, using certain smells. And there's some formal programs that are online and, you know, people can get different types of, you know, essential oils or other types of things to smell and work on retraining their brains to smell again. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, um, are you seeing an endpoint to these symptoms? Is, is there, um, you know, a specific period of time that's expected or is, does it just vary from person to person? Is there a range of time that you're seeing? It definitely varies from person to person. And we say, um, some patients may feel better in eight weeks. And again, some patients I've been seeing now for four, or maybe I haven't seen them for 14 months, but they've had symptoms for 14 months because they are affected very early on in the pandemic. And again, a lot of things we know is that the course is kind of like a roller coaster and, you know, some days are bad and some days are better. And it's just, um, again, educating and supporting the patients and just kind of figuring out which of the symptoms that they have that we can try to treat. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so um, now tell us about the kinds of patients that you see. Is it mostly men, women, young, old, or just a mix of everyone? So we are starting to go back retrospectively and look at our clinic data and say, who are the people who's coming in? And it was kind of surprising to see based on what we initially knew about COVID. So, you know, COVID is this disease that more severely affects a older population. 
and men a little bit more than women. And the people that are coming into COVID clinics, and we don't know, is this due to just, you know, who's more likely to seek care, but it's really in the middle age, 40 to 50 year old women. Like we, it's about 65, 70% women that we're seeing in our clinic. And the majority of them are in that age range. Um, so that's something that I think is pretty interesting. And that that's is interesting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've read that many of these patients with the long COVID symptoms have not even been hospitalized, that they're sicker after the acute COVID illness than they were, you know, during COVID, during the episode of COVID. Um, has that been your experience? Have most of your patients been hospitalized or not hospitalized, or you have a mix? So 75% were never hospitalized of the patients that we're seeing. So vast majority were suffering at home. They had mild to moderate disease. Maybe some here and there went to the emergency room and urgent care, and they were kind of like, your saturations aren't that bad. You're fine. Go home. We don't have that many treatment options to give you just, you know, treat symptomatically and, or it wasn't that severe. They felt like it was a little, you know, a few day thing, or they were kind of tired, had some symptoms. And then in some patients, there was a down period where they felt okay for a couple of weeks. And then they had these long COVID symptoms hit them a few weeks later and then be very, very significant. Interesting. Okay. Um, so do we know anything yet about what is causing this or are we still very early on in, uh, you know, in researching this? Do we have any ideas about why patients are getting these prolonged symptoms? It is definitely still in the research stages. So we don't have a good idea yet, but I think there's definitely where they know that, there is something possibly immunologic going on. So, you know, they track types of cells and seeing activation of um, certain immune responses, even weeks down the line and even in outpatients who didn't have severe disease. And we know that everyone kind of has a little bit different immune response to COVID-19. And then the other thing is the inflammation. And so that's another component to it. There's a lot of pro-inflammatory cytokines that are released related to um, having COVID-19. And then we know that this is also a disease, uh, you know, it causes endotheliitis or, um, you know, so the vessels can get leaky. And so does the inflammation get into places where we don't want to get it into hence like our blood brain barrier. That's usually really good, but is inflammation getting into the brain, causing the brain fog. Um, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a hypothesis that makes a lot of sense in this case. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in infectious diseases, we're recommending that even if you've had COVID to go ahead and get your COVID vaccination, uh, because we think it's better protection than natural immunity. Um, and there have been some reports of some patients getting better after COVID vaccination. Have, has that been your experience? Have you seen that? I've seen it, but it isn't the majority of patients. So, uh, you know, patients who've had COVID that are in my clinic, they do not want to get COVID again. They know it's a serious deal. They know it's making them feel terrible. They want their vaccine. They don't understand when people don't want vaccines because they've seen how it wreaks, how how it's wreaked havoc on their life. And so they're getting their vaccine. For the most part, people just maybe either feel the same for the most part, 
some will feel better and very few have felt just a little bit worse, but for the most part, people it's, they kind of continue on with their symptoms. Okay. And so what are you telling people about COVID vaccine? Are you telling people, uh, are you recommending COVID vaccine to these folks? I'm recommending COVID vaccines to these folks for sure. And I, um, because I've seen some patients get COVID more than once and it doesn't, getting COVID a second time does not make your long COVID better. Yeah. It only makes it worse. Okay. And it makes their function worse and, um, and it destroys their quality of life further. And so we need to prevent people from getting COVID-19 again. And they're very serious about getting their vaccines. Great. So, uh, so what should people do if they're having these symptoms? What, what do you recommend to them? Um, not everyone will be in San Antonio that can come to your clinic. I guess if they are, you would recommend coming to your clinic. I would recommend coming to my clinic, but there's also a long, you know, there's such a huge need and we have a long wait and we're trying to, you know, get more providers who are available to, you know, give this kind of care because it is, it's, you know, we take time, we listen to people, we, you know, really drill down on what their main symptoms are and how we can help them and then get the right multidisciplinary team involved in their care. So, you know, in general, um, I want people to find providers or physicians who are going to listen to them and maybe think about or send the patient to a physical therapist or a therapy program that can address some of these needs. That's one thing, you know, we've seen that um, individualized therapy plans can help for patients. So maybe they don't all need to go into a you know specialized COVID recovery clinic because there may not be one where they are, but can they be referred to you know physical therapists who also through their national associations have a lot of information on how to treat these patients. Plus, we knew pulmonary rehab was a thing before COVID, and so there are programs that did that even before COVID was along, and patients can benefit from that as well. And it looks like there's many academic centers that do have COVID recovery clinics. And so people could look and see at least if there's one in their area. For sure. Okay. All right. Good. Um, Are there support groups that you recommend? So there are several support groups. Most of them are online. Most are um, through social media sites like Facebook and such. So um, you know, I've seen a few of them, you know, I know like there's body politic that's very active and there are some other ones. So it's kind of, um, both some patients love it and they get information and then some patients get a little bit overwhelmed about it. Cause there's mm-hmm. some, you know, a lot of people suffering with a lot of different symptoms. And so, and then people can just start, you know, some local su- support groups are opening up and, you know, things come up all the time, but it's definitely important that patients, people who are suffering from long COVID find support. And sometimes that has to be real mental health, behavioral health support as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good point. So, um, well, I know, uh, we're very grateful to you here, uh, Dr. Gutierrez for what you're doing. And I know, uh, that these patients are very grateful that there is someone, uh, that will take them seriously and listen to their complaints and work on a rehab program for them. So thank you so much for what you're doing. 
Yes, happy to do so to serve our patients here locally and to, you know, just continue the excellent treatment they get from the infectious disease specialist and uh, make sure that they have good outcomes. Okay, well, great. Well, we thank you for being with us on our podcast today. Happy to be here.